Welcome back to the Dewhawk Dozen podcast, where each month the Young Alumni Advisory Board nominates one stellar graduate of the last decade to interview and to share their story. Regardless of where they're from or where they are now, their time at Loras connects them all. Let's, Let's do, do this. My name is Molly Devine, 2013 alumna. Welcome to the April edition of Dewhawk Dozen. I couldn't be more pleased to be joined today by a fellow 2013 alumna and my roommate all four years, Katie, formerly Yaki, now Piles. Katie graduated from Loras with a bachelor's degree in social work. She then went on to receive her master's degree in theology from Franciscan University of Steubenville. She moved into a career in ministry, currently serving the parishioners of St. Gauls in Elburn, Illinois. As the director of youth ministry, To me, Katie exemplifies the quote of St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. At home, Katie holds the titles of wife and mom. She and her husband have faithfully welcomed four children into their lives, and most recently, they adopted a dog into their home. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I like the giggles with the dog. Makes me think he's a little bit silly. (laughs) He's so silly. He is old. He's like seven, so he's just like, he moves around the house with the sun and sleeps in the different sun patches. So he's like, what I want to be when I grow up. Me too. <laughs> well, speaking of growing up, obviously, um, post Loris, uh, when you finished out your time there, which is now 10 years ago, which is crazy, um, you went off to Franciscan University to pursue a master's in theology. What or who uh, helped you decide to take that path and ultimately pursue a career in ministry? Okay. So I know that's kind of like a, an odd pairing, social work and ministry, but they're very similar. And so um, in our social work program, they had always, you know, all of the professors had always encouraged us to think about what we want to specialize in because it's such a broad field. And then your master's degree is where you do your specialty. Um, so as I was like thinking and praying about what I wanted to do, what groups I wanted to serve, um, I saw, you know, we talk about in social work, the multidimensional framework of the person. Um, I saw so many of my classmates that were going to be very capable and have, you know, as we graduated in um, serving all these different dimensions of the person. Um, But I I felt that an area where social workers maybe could do more is in the spiritual dimension of the human person. So um, I decided to specialize in spirituality. So I got my master's in theology and I have been serving people in that capacity ever since. That's so exciting. I think that's a great way to, to, to talk about that. I agree. I always uh, forethought is that like the spiritual side of a person. Um, and so it's like, of course, like physically or emotionally, but then spiritually it's as important, mm-hmm. a valuable area to move into, to support the community. And one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, we connected obviously really early on, even though you thought I was like some odd senior when we first met. I um, thought you were an adult, we, like a real adult. <laughs> when when we started talking, I think we found a lot of similarities. We'd both been actively involved in our local uh, high school youth ministries. Um, we'd done some sports growing up, but, you know, 
it's always hard, I think, to walk into a new space kind of on your own. And so one of the things that I was really grateful of was that you took the first step really engaging with Loris Campus Ministry. And you actually brought me in by inviting me to activities like the Antioch Retreat and, you know, the McKee, Kentucky uh, mission trip, which I know you went to and then led, and then I went to and led as a student, but then also as a, as a faculty. So, you know, I, I'm really grateful you gave me those experiences. And I'd be curious to know, um, first and foremost, what did you learn from past retreat and mission experiences? Yeah, I think McKee, that trip was so transformative for me. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like I was not very faithfully Catholic for the first couple of years that we were at Loris. And then um, going on the Antioch retreat was was a great like way to break back into um, being involved in my faith. And then um, just the the way that that service trip to McKee was formatted. I don't know who was in charge of it when I went. I should know, but I don't remember. But they did like it was just so great. And being able to like be with people and serve them directly in their needs. And it really broke a lot of my preconceived notions of service and of poverty and what it means to serve different groups of people in different ways. And like actually meeting people's needs and what they need and not what I think they need, <laughs> which um, I just, there's that, that I feel like that mission trip was so blessed um, the years that we, that I did it. And then when we went together too, um, it really just taught me humility in service and how my idea of um, what a person or a community needs is not 90% of the time what they need. So it taught me how to listen. And I think that um, every step that I've taken since that trip to Kentucky, I have tried to listen first. Um, and that has served me well, I think. I think that I often think back to that mission trip and our contact there, Rebecca, and mm -hmm. one of the quotes that comes to me a lot from her was one of the important things at, in McKee is a ministry of presence is what she and so I think about that ministry of presence a lot because she really talked about sometimes people just need you to sit there and listen. And, you know, one might not think like we're not going out, we're not building homes or doing anything um, exceptional, you know, um, but we are, you know, giving people a, a chance to have someone sit there and listen to them and value them for their human dignity and their, their personhood. And I think that that's so important um, and could often be an overlooked experience. Um, in terms of those past experiences in ministry, how have they shaped you professionally in engaging with the parish communities you serve? Oh, wow. Um, ministry of presence is a great way to put that because most people just need to be seen. Um, most of youth ministry is just making connections. Uh, we have youth ministry has all these little like idioms, I think they're called like little phrases that we use over and over again. Um, my favorite one is that um, belonging comes before belief and belief comes before behavior. So if we want people, you know, to be close to Christ, what, what they need first is to belong. And then through that belonging we can get to belief. And then it's only once people believe, are they going to live a Catholic life in a way that's transformative? Um, and so I think in order to start that little process with anybody, with any person is to be able to sit with them and to see them as full people. Um, and that I, yes, I learned that in Kentucky. So yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> I think it really does. I think that's like a beautiful way 
um, a community kind of like getting along because who who's going to do anything if they're not feeling welcome or feeling invited in? I think that's such a good step and it's an often overlooked step. Um, I think sometimes even in the Catholic faith where sometimes it's like, I'm just going to drop some truth bombs and I'm like, well, let's take a step back and maybe show some love and some compassion first and, and welcome them into the community first. Um, one thing I spoke about in your nomination, so kind of on a, on a turn out of, out of the ministry side, but one thing I spoke about in your nomination was your life as a mom. And in 2021, um, you and your husband found out you were expecting your third child and what should have been a really time quickly took a turn when you diagnosed in utero um, with trisomy 18. You and your husband inspired me personally um, with your faith and, and your trust in God. And I just love if you could talk about how you navigated that time and what, what tools I would say to and resources. Helped yeah. You. Yeah. I think um, nobody can get through a crisis like that is you're truly living in crisis when you receive a diagnosis like that. Um, if people don't know what trisomy 18 is, it is almost always fatal, um, within utero, within, uh, gestation. Um, and then of the children that survive birth, 98, 97% die within the first year. Uh, very few children live to be three, four, five years old. And when they do, they will most likely get liver cancer and then we'll have to, um, go through chemo and all of that. So the diagnosis itself was so heavy. And the only way that we navigated that crisis was by being born forward by our community. So it was just other people that kept us moving. Um, people made sure our trash cans got out and made sure we had dinner and um, took care of our kids. And I know Molly, you had organized a, like a spiritual bouquet to be sent to us. So I had all of these people from my time at Loris that were praying for me and interceding for me and people that I hadn't talked to in a while, but that still took that step to support us in that deepest and darkest hour. Um, the only way that we navigated that was through the support of other people, um, both near and far. And then, um, yeah. And that, I think that was what made it possible for us to, to really like it, analyze what we needed to do um, for our son and to make good decisions for his life. And then um, also to be able to seek the other services that helped us. So we went, um, we got in contact with an organization called Able Speaks. Uh, they support families who are caring to term after a life limiting diagnosis and their support, they helped with like advocacy and um, they do a whole bunch, they, they'll do anything that you need, <laughs> but mostly they just celebrated Frankie's life with us. And so um, I think, yeah, those two things, it was that, that re the not real, but the like incorporated organization of Able Speaks was a huge support for us, but mostly it was being held aloft by the people who loved us um, near and far. I think um, it's a great time to be not talking about this because um, many don't know that we're recording this on the last day of March, March 31st, and March uh, is uh, Trisomy Awareness Month. Um, and so I think it's a great way to bring kind of a light to that. And, you know, I've seen some of the things that you've posted throughout your experience with Able Speaks, and I know that they were so instrumental, I think, in, in really helping your, your family get through that time. So I'm grateful that you had the people pushing you forward, but also the organizations helping lead you 
awkward as well through that time. And, you know, as your close friend, um, I navigated parts of the journey with you and your family. And um, it happened that I was going through the Bible in a Year podcast with Father Mike, at, you know, um, last year. And I remembered that you would post, you know, some of these pieces um, about your grief journey. And it was always kind of mind boggling to me that, you know, a lot of times you were like, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was here for us for a short time, but this isn't the end, you know, and, and, you know, now he's with God and things like that. And I, I sometimes had a hard time understanding that. And while going through Bible in a year, we got to the passage in the book of wisdom and in reference to, to death and dying, it says, you know, God tried them and found them worthy of himself. And it really brought me back to some of the things that I saw you post early on in that journey. And, and after Frankie had passed um, and how, you know, you were like, he, he wasn't here for us. He was here for God. Um, and, you know, for members of, of the Loris community who may be experiencing loss themselves, can you share um, ways uh, that helped you navigate the waters of kind of your grief journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for me was scripture. Honestly, it was like, um, I, I couldn't pray or feed myself. <laughs> so something that I really relied on was just being able, like, just being able to like open the word and like spend time with the physical Bible itself. And like, um, the book of lamentations was great for me. Um, also, and I should have looked it up because I thought of it yesterday and then I forgot to look it up for today, but um, there's a passage in the Old Testament uh, that says, God did not create death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. And that for me was key to understanding the purpose of Jesus and his cross, his life, death, and resurrection. God did not create death and he doesn't rejoice in our deaths. Um, so Frankie's death was horrible and is horrible, but it's not from God. God didn't punish me. He was, he's not withholding my child from me. He didn't take anything away from me. What he did was receive my son when the world wasn't equipped to help him live. Um, and he does that for all of us. You know, the Lord doesn't take us, he receives us. And when people die, when loved ones die, um, that is tragic and it is <laughs> horrible and none of us can escape it. Um, but the fact that we have a God who saw that the worst thing that could happen to us is death and he fixed the worst thing with the resurrection. And I had to decide that that was enough for me, that the resurrection, not a earthly healing for my son to be perfect and to live a normal life, there's no healing for us in that way. There was no miraculous, I don't know, whatever. But I had to wake up every day, and I still do, and decide that the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the body at the end of the age, that those truths of our faith, that that's enough for me. Um, and it's a challenge, but being able to shift that perspective was the thing that helped me the most, I would say, faith-wise just clinging to that. <laughs> I think that's, that's an important piece to share. And I, I'm sure there are people out there that are experiencing that form of grief and that will experience that form of grief. And I hope that they can find, you know, messages like this. So those within, you know, our community, Loris can, can find those messages, but also those outside community can also find those messages of faith and of healing 
kind of overcoming, I wouldn't say the grief, but overcoming the circumstance in some ways to be able to move on and step forward. Uh, I know we've touched on a lot of heavy content um, and I know that are listening can all benefit from, from what you've shared. You know, just to kind of close out our time to I'm curious, how has the Duhawk community, you know, post Laura's played out in your life? Do you have any moments of, you know, Duhawk supporting Duhawks after graduation um, that's really kind of fueled you? Yeah, I feel like I encounter Duhawks in the wild a lot. <laughs> like living in Northern Illinois, there's a lot of us. Um, two examples come to mind. And the first that I talked about a little earlier on, um, just all of like friends and acquaintances and people that you reached out to, Molly when we had Frankie's diagnosis and that were praying for me and for my family and my baby, that was really special. I haven't even been able to open it back up since I opened it the first time. Cause I weep uncontrollably when I open it up. Um, it was just, it was so special to me. Um, and then the second, I was just at a retreat for work and the woman running the retreat was a former Duhawk. She had graduated many years before us, but she was like, oh yeah, you know, I got my, she had a degree in education, I think from Loris. And so I was like, you went to Loris? So did I. And she was like, it was just very exciting. <laughs> so that was nice to be able to be like, kind of like fed in that way um, from a fellow Duhawk. And then um, <laughs> this is less spiritual, but I was at a party once uh, a little bit after graduation <laughs> and two other people there had, were Loris alumni. And it was just like very exciting. Um to have that connection. It's like having a little bit of home with me wherever I am. So and that's been exciting for me. I do find it wild sometimes where I find some of the Duhawks, honestly. Um, I remember meeting one on a river cruise um, on the Danube in Hungary, um, <laughs> like legitimately in Budapest. Uh, I remember meeting one. The person that gave me my first COVID vaccine was... <laughs> A Duhawk or was at least familiar with Duhawks. That is a literal Duhawk supporting Duhawk. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild. And so it's just, they're, they're everywhere as for a small school, our footprint is so wide and this like tiny, this big world becomes such a tiny world sometimes. Um, and so, you know, to, to kind of close out this podcast, you know, I really want to thank you, Katie, for coming on here today, for, for sharing your candor and your vulnerability on this episode of the Duhawk Dozen podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Loris College and the Young Alumni Advisory Board. The podcast runs monthly and honorees are chosen by Loris peers. So we invite you to nominate a Young Alumni Duhawk today. If you haven't, do it. Like what better way to honor someone than with a nomination and talking about how great they are because I've had a talking with my best Katie and sharing her experiences on this podcast. I hope all of you can do the same. Thanks for joining us.